Hello and welcome to Additive Insight, your source for news, interviews and comment on the latest 3D printing and additive manufacturing intelligence brought to you by the TCT content team. I'm Head of Content Laura Griffiths and I'm joined by Sam Davis and Oliver Johnson to talk to you all about the year's biggest 3D printing and additive manufacturing news stories. Hello guys, it is December. It's our last day, sort of in the office, not really in the office together in 2023. How are you both feeling? I'm ready for my holiday next week. <laughs> Very ready for it. Yeah, I've, I've, uh, I've been joking with a couple of people in the office today. Um, Christmas, the Christmas break for me is bulking season because I'm starting wrestling in January. So <laughs> I'm going to enjoy going to enjoy me break and eat a lot of food. I'm very ready for that. <laughs> that is what Christmas is for. <laughs> I feel like the wrestling training thing is just a justification for the pigging mm. out that's about to commence, Ollie. I don't Maybe. know if you're even interested in doing the wrestling. You just want to eat a load of food. I just want to eat loads and loads of pigs in blankets. Yeah, don't we all? <laughs> well, that's my plan this evening. So I'm I'm start sort of starting my holiday, then coming back in for a few days next week. But tonight, my plan is to have my first pigs and blankets of the season. So oh. I'm very excited. Normally, I've eaten about fifty by this point, but uh, but yeah, these, these will be my, my first batch. So I <laughs> I had some pigs and blankets out of season in like September, October this year. Oh, so. I knew that. Yeah, that's oh, okay. Fine. So okay. Yeah. Well, then I haven't had one this season. Then, if that that doesn't <laughs> count, I haven't started yet. Okay, I'll let you know how if they're nice ones you can get them yourself. Cheers. <laughs> Um, but we are going to try and run through uh, the biggest news stories of this year. It is going to be quite difficult because we're going to try and cram this all into an hour like we did last year, and I think we did actually get it down to just around an hour. So. It's been a bit of a strange year for the additive manufacturing industry because the main news story, as you will all probably be aware, has been mergers and acquisitions yet again. And we've not seen many major hardware launches or any kind of we've seen application breakthroughs, but not really in the sort of volumes that, that we're used to seeing. So um, there's no doubt that we will end up missing some of the news stories that maybe you find to be more significant than others and um, but it'd be great if you can let us know um, any of those stories that you think were also big highlights of this year but we are aware we're not going to cover every single thing in an hour but we've just kind of collated what we feel are the ones that sort of sum up the journey that we've been on in the industry throughout this year so should we just get into it and start our hour countdown now yeah fine by me okay um, so I think the biggest one really was um, a spillover from last year, which was um, Nikon completing its takeover of SLM Solutions, which we now know is informally rebranded as Nikon SLM Solutions. Um, so as I said, this is kind of the um, this was the culmination of a big news story, which I think would have been one of the big ones we highlighted on, la on last year's end, end of year episode. Um, it's been nice to actually see this all sort of materialized because I think especially after a year that we've had where we've seen potential acquisitions you know kind of looking like they were going to happen and then 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 not really and been lots of drama happening in the in-between um it's been quite cool to see this one um materialized in person at an event where we saw the big rebrand our form next we had it on the cover of the magazine um I mean Sam I know you did an amazing explainer earlier this year about why Nikon is acquiring SLM solutions and you know, a lot of that was about them wanting to really expand the play into metal additive manufacturing. And they made a number of investments and acquisitions at the same time around 
Metal AM. And this was really the, the huge one um, as part of that. So I don't know if you've got kind of a few more thoughts on this, but for me, it was just really a good example of when these things, even though we, we don't really know the outcome of it yet, because we're only really seeing the start of these two companies coming together. But for me, it was just kind of a positive thing to start the year on and then finish the year on seeing this whole thing actually happen. Yeah, it was the good old days of when a, an AM acquisition was announced and then completed and nothing <laughs> happened in between. Um, but I don't. I think from that perspective, obviously, the, when we did the explainer um, around the time it was it was announced, um, the, the the obviously Nikon was was pointing out the the synergies or the the areas where it could help advance SLM's technology and its offering. Mm-hmm. um further obviously with its kind of optical and, and metrology solutions adding that onto SLM's metal AM machines but I'd say I don't know whether you two would agree it's been quite a quiet year for SLM oh, compared definitely. to what we used yeah. to like mm-hmm. obviously they're still figuring things out we haven't seen too much of these synergies you know bear fruit just yet mm-hmm. um I think they acquired uh Adira Ad Creative didn't they and so there's mm-hmm. another um technology a large format metal powder bed technology and presumably a, a team that's worked on that technology which are you know they're going to need if we're honest as, as you keep expanding the build volume and adding more lasers mm-hmm. you're going to need all the the expertise in those areas you can get um so yeah I, i'd say we're still waiting to see exactly what happens with this acquisition um nikon obviously is, is kind of steadily building out this portfolio of of AM companies and AM investments, as you mentioned, but there's not been too much. Um, mm-hmm. Like last week, as we record, I think SLM announced its 900th um, machine installation um, with another 12 laser machine going in. Um, and th- that, to be fair, is you know has been adopted quite nicely since it was launched a few years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, but other than that, we've not seen too much just yet. Um, so maybe one you know to look out for in, in the new year um and as we go into 2024 to i guess see those synergies really develop and be exhibited by by nikon slm mm-hmm. and it did seem like quite an, a well-suited partnership as you say sam when we are getting into these machines now that are just piling in the lasers you know we really do need that kind of optical um, intelligence to to go alongside that to make sure that these machines um, are doing what they're supposed to be doing they're supposed to be more productive we've got these larger build formats all this kind of stuff um, and as you mentioned now you know seeing this 900 machine um, installation which I think was one of the NXG 12 600s is, is that's what it's still called um, yeah. you know it, it's they're putting a lot of stock into these massive machines I think having that that additional expertise I'm quite interested to see what kind of things they focus on next and whether that is um, kind of chucking in more laser power which we'll get on to uh, later on when we talk a little bit about TCT Asia but um, I think it'll be next year that we start to see all the interesting fruits of, of that um, that takeover. So it does take ne- a while for like the so, sorry for, for like the the companies to really get things going after they combine mm-hmm. like we only when we saw Ultimaker and Makerbot merge last summer we've only really seen the fruits of that of that start to come to, well, come to fruition um the second half of this year really so yeah it takes a while for things to get going once they merge mm-hmm. and even that one I guess when that was officially kind of settled this year it, it, it's still a little 
it was still kind of unclear for a while what direction that they were going to be going in. And I know, Ollie, that you reported on the fact that MakeBot is now to be an education focused uh, product arm and things like that. But even even so, when these companies join, it still takes a while for them to find their footing about what works, what it's worth keeping, all that sort of stuff. So, yeah, you're absolutely right. It's, not a, it's never an immediate transition. So the next one, I'm really sorry, guys, but we're going to have to start talking about the saga. <laughs> Um, and I suppose uh, this is the bane of all his existence it really is but <laughs> <laughs> um, great for our web traffic um so I think this all kind of started I'd say end of January when Nana Dimension announced like actually I suppose there's another one that was carried over from last year because it was sort of rumblings of it you know at the very end of 2022 it started in January when Nana Dimension announced um a limited duration shareholders rights plan uh, was uh, uh, unanimously approved by its board of directors and it was designed to really reduce the likelihood of any entity or group to gain control or significant significant influence over the company so that was set to expire within 12 months so that was obviously very soon um but yeah this kind of kicked off this whole saga of four companies in the industry which I guess do we want to kind of talk about now or should we wait a little while to go on set because I think the real the real action seems to sort of happen around springtime. But I think this one was the real kickoff. And Ollie, you've, you've had lots of fun reporting on this story this year <laughs> and various um, dramas that have gone on, you know, forgetting, forgetting kind of like the rest of, of the um, the acquisition stuff with Stratasys, Desktop Metal, 3D systems that we'll talk about later. There was lots of kind of struggles within Nano Dimension to begin with um, at the start of the year. And Sam, and again, you did another great explainer on what was going on there so who wants to give us the gist of what was happening with Dimension towards the start of the year their shareholder Merchinson was it's not like they don't I didn't have a massive stake but they did have like the biggest stake in Nano Dimension, I think yeah it was like five percent I think mm-hmm. yeah so they were trying to take over the entire well like the rest of the company basically um but nano dimension didn't like the way they were going about it that's basically what i understood yeah so i think bloomberg reported it like the back end of 2022 that merchant so much is just like an investment uh company um they were unhappy with the the way nano dimension was being run and i think there was mention of a, a decline of like 75 percent of nano share price since 2021 and so bloomberg reported that the merchants were trying to take over nano dimension i think merchants always denied that nano dimension obviously didn't believe merchants and then employed the shareholders rights plan which would basically dilute the the worth of the shares if anybody attempted to own more than 10% of the outstanding shares of Nano Dimension. And then Merchantson was pushing to get changes at boardroom level. So I think they wanted to get rid of four of them, including Joab Stern, who's the CEO and the chair of Nano Dimension. And they wanted to add two independent people to that board. And then this basically ran and ran um with both sides calling out the other loads of press releases um probably a legal battle or two i think they went into as well um to try and prove which was um you know breaking the law or whatever and then i think in the end um i can't remember the exact date of this but when the 
the nano dimension um agm i think it was came around the nano dimension shareholders just re-elected all of the company directors Mm -hmm. so it was a whole load of noise and then since then i don't don't even know if merchants and have have said anything else i think they've kind of just sat back and and let it happen but yeah yeah thankfully Uh, (laughs) one of the one of the things that nano dimension had done they like a few other companies they'd, they'd acquired a bunch of of different businesses to kind of build out their portfolio as they went onto the stock market one of the things they did which i think we probably mentioned on last year's um end of year pod was that they bought 12 percent initially of the shares in stratasys which then went up to 14 percent, and that is basically the reason we're even bringing up this little drama was because that then impacted what was to come and then we can decide between us right now whether we want to just go into that or whether we take a little bit of a detour before we come back to you know all of that activity i think we should take a bit of a detour because um it's going to be a a bit of a long one (laughs) okay three people wanting more as well sure (laughs) yeah yeah. don't give them it all straight away no i mean i'm sure they've had enough of it throughout this year but uh yeah leave them wanting more sure um okay well in that case then we will move on to the next story which was around sort of march time we are trying to keep this very chronological which i think is also a good reason to keep the next part of that saga um to a bit later on in the episode but the next one is the basketball the basketball that some people love that some people absolutely hate but you know what everyone was talking about it um so wilson sporting goods and um, worked with a bunch of collaborators in the industry to produce what was known as the earliest basketball so it looks like pr- pretty much a lattice structure it is a basketball um that bounces properly like a basketball does um it looks very very cool it was first dunked at a massive nba game and it had lots of eyes on it um and Ollie, I know you did a really great piece where you talked to each of the collaborators um, in this project. So I do want to give you a chance to, to to talk about this. But I think for me, it's just been most interesting because I kind of love stuff like this. It stirs up so much debate in this industry because you'll always have the people that are just really excited by the fact that there are more people talking about this technology. There's more visibility and we'll see that. Any kind of visibility means it might mean a spark for somebody else to then get interested in the technology and maybe then use the technology. And then there's always going to be the other side that are going to remain very cynical and be like, oh, what's the point? It's too expensive, blah, blah, blah. Um, And I think both arguments are very much valid for this application. Um, But I know that personally, I I do lean more to the side of I think we need creative applications like this to really be that spark, because um, I think people that are maybe not interested in additive manufacturing yes while a jig may save thousands and thousands on a production line at somewhere like bmw the average person does not care about that because it's not fun it's not interesting but a basketball that is just basically um, a lattice shell with nowhere in it that works that's on tv i think that's a really interesting way of just igniting a bit of interest in this technology and hopefully pushing it out to people that are not just in our bubble of this industry and so that's my little piece on this um but ollie go on tell us about what what actually happened and who was working on this and um yeah just i know you spoke to to the team at wilson about it as well Mm -hmm. i spoke to uh yeah dr nadine lipper uh, innovation manager at wilson and that is brilliant conversation just getting to pick her brains about this with all, all the questions i had and i think that you're, you're you're right there was a lot of cynicism with with this application but i think 
it it just it shows the potential of what 3D printing can do in a way that uh, gets the attention from outside the industry, which you know that's probably what the industry needs to do more is be more sort of open in a way. And um, let's let's get into the technical side of it anyway before I carry on about that. But <laughs> so it it it. it replicates the um it has like the bounce like it bounces to like the same standards as like an actual wilson basketball that is used in the nba so that's just goes to show how you know how hard the team worked over the five years on this project because nadine lipper was given the task in 2020 2018 it was i think begins 2018 to just simply didn't didn't have anything to do with 3d printing just reinvent the basketball that's all she was given and um she felt that 3d printing was a good approach to it because you can with like the teams they worked with the general lattice uh to achieve that performance they're like um their digital materials and that uh to get the material properties and like the mechanical structure it's just 3d printing was a perfect way to do it so basically they worked with general lattice like the design part of it and then they worked with eos to actually print the ball and they trialed different 3d printer methods to get that uh that performance to match the actual basketball and they uh they said the self-supporting nature of sls was very helpful so i found that interesting and of course it had to meet the to meet the actual attributes of the basketball like the real basketball they had to get in the hands of actual basketball players which um nadine said she was very nervous about at first because they went to like um uh like the end of like a training session with some like nba players or whatever and they handed them the ball and she was like oh it's at the end of their training session not they're not going to want to test this out and they looked at it like what is this and then they started playing with it and then you, you could just see their eyes light up and they just had so much fun playing with it because they couldn't believe it was actually working the same as a real ball i think something you said a minute ago the rally is probably the most important bit about this story and it's the fact that when this team this, this r&d team was first um approached about this project it wasn't a how can we use 3d printing to to make a basketball it literally was that it was how do we reinvent a basketball and I do think that's the bit that gets lost in this conversation when people are quite turned off by it it's because I think people may see it as just another as another using 3d printer for the sake of using 3d printing and it just wasn't that at all it was just it was just let's find a way to be creative about about this this product that we all know and recognize mm-hmm. and I think it's just What's good about it is it shows where 3D printing really does have unique attributes. Like I keep mentioning the lattice structure with, with general lattice, but you know that is the that is the beauty behind this, and the way it's been post processed by Nano Dimension as well to 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 give it that finish. And it's it, there's a lot of things that it does that just other technologies are just not able to do. So yeah, it's not it's not another case of just using 3D printing for a consumer product just because you know because you might as well like when we've seen on older older projects like people 3d printing stuff like 
random cups and whatever which you just don't need to 3d print it's just not worthwhile with this one it was more of an experimentation of the technology and you know what might you be able to do so uh, it does it does get missed and it's really nice to hear just how excited the actual engineers on this project were because you know if as, as you say when it gets to the end you get to hand it to the actual person who's got who is potentially going to use it in the end and you, you see the spark happen in them I think that's just you know that's worth so much and is, and is a good reminder of the fact that this technology still can have that kind of excitement with people and know we're in it every day and are in the bubble and can get a bit fed up sometimes but if you're outside of the bubble it's still pretty cool even for those of us in the bubble like we all bemoan that so many companies don't let us see what they're doing with the technology mm. and yeah. Wilson have just opened their R&D doors to us in real time to show like what what they've come up with so far with this with this project that a as, as we've mentioned wasn't even about 3d printing in the beginning but b like shows that you can make something that bounces as well as a as a basketball mm -hmm. and matches the standards of that basketball with just like cleverness in terms of how you use materials and design and i think that's really interesting and really inspiring um and I think I think that's a good thing. It's obviously we've talked about it before. I think it's a good marketing tool, and yeah. marketing isn't the evil that everyone in this industry seems to think it is. Marketing can be a good thing um, mm -hmm. if done right, and and I guess that's where we come on to the the cynicism of it. I think you know one of the one of the big issues I see with this application, if you were to suggest, which I don't think anybody is, that this should be how you make a basketball, <laughs> is with this process especially is the powder removal mm. um it must be an absolute pain in the backside to remove powder out of a out of a ball um and so until that is you know automated to death it isn't going to get off the ground but um i don't i don't think anybody is actually saying this is how we want to make basketballs mm. um it it might not go any further than this or it might i don't know but i think um some of the cynicism is almost cynicism for the sake of it rather than using 3d printing for the sake of it and mm -hmm. we can definitely better use our cynicism in this industry i think <laughs> than to a, a a fun application like this but that's just my point of view on it how do how do we somehow incorporate that into our marketing in future <laughs> which <laughs> the right kind of cynicism well, yeah, there, I mean, we'll come on to a few things where you're like, well, there's definitely reason to be cynical there. Yeah. But I think a bunch of engineers using the technology in different ways. I imagine people looking at that ball and, and seeing how it performs will have ideas for other things based on the, you know, the material properties and the, the design elements. The fact that this is just a ball of plastic that bounces like a, a ball of air. Um, I mean... I don't know anything about anything and I find that inspiring so I'm sure there are people who know how to you know who know things yeah well yeah who know how to design things and who know about material characteristics and chemistry that I just don't I'm sure that they'll have um light bulbs going off in their heads too mm -hmm. I think a really important thing that I, I sort of witnessed about this was like when I was I was trying it out at rapid like trying the ball out very very badly attempting to to dunk the basketball but um there's some some younger people there like uh, high school students and they were having a go and just i think that's so important showing them yeah. this 
thing that you never would have imagined could have been 3D printed is 3D printed. It works the exact same way. That could spark something in them being like, oh, what else can you reinvent with 3D printing? Yeah. And I will say like it is obviously the responsibility of those involved to when when people who don't know an, an awful lot about the technology um, are engaging with this um, application example. I guess it is their responsibility to be transparent and honest and educational about you don't just upload a file and a bouncing ball comes out of the printer. Mm-hmm. Um, like you do, I guess it is their responsibility to explain all of the steps. And then I'm sure there will be questions about the post-processing and the economics um but i don't imagine anybody already in the industry is skating over those those elements of it i'm sure most people are already pretty aware that you know that it probably cost an awful lot to get to the point they've got to and the post-processing was very annoying and wouldn't be scalable like i'm 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 imagining that most people who've been in the industry for more than five minutes would be aware of that anyway well let's talk about another application which um i suppose is another good example of the technology being seen by a wider audience um, and that was the relativity uh, launch which happened while we were at amog this year and so sam i do want to ask you about your experience with that because i think you 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 will have seen this from a very unique um mm. perspective um but relativity space um successfully launched its 3d printed uh Tram one rocket um though it did fail to reach orbit. So kind of a good news story, kind of a not so much a good news story, but that is not 3D printing's fault. Um, but yeah, so they they been, I think they tried two attempts um, to begin with. Um, so this was the, the third time around. Um, and yeah, Sam, you were in a big group of additive manufacturing people at the additive manufacturing users group, watching it around this this TV screen, uh, which I just think it, oh, that almost feels like when I picture people very first watching the first, you know, moon landing <laughs> around <laughs> little little tiny TV screens uh, in the living room. Um, what what was that like seeing this like, with with that group of people? It was it was probably one of my I think one of my favorite things that's happened while I've been in the industry because we were we tried to get it on a big projector and then obviously we didn't uh, I don't think Amog had that room booked for that time so it was like you can't technically do that so then they everyone was kind of rushing around to find a TV um, and then and and for context this is on like the penultimate night I think of Amog um, and so Laura you'll know that on that evening of, of 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 the AMO conference there's loads of activities there's a big networking event you you mill about this massive hotel and there's just every door you go through there's a different thing there was karaoke going on I think behind us there was some like casino tables um down the down the hall um and then there was maybe 50 or 60 of us crowded around what is probably a decent sized tv but in that um environment it looks like a tiny tv um it was i can assure you much bigger than the tvs people were watching the moon landings on um <laughs> but we were just watching that happen um and i think there was there were delays there was like um i think there was a boat that was um like coming past and they couldn't they couldn't launch it while the boat was there just right. in case so we had to wait another like 30 minutes and it just didn't feel like it was going to happen um and then obviously it did and it you know it took off and what was nice about it was being at that event in particular you know the the additive manufacturing users group being surrounded by a bunch of users who every year get together 
to kind of share their insights, share their issues, hopefully come up with solutions. If not, um, they they meet new people and maybe in a you know a few years down the line they'll they'll be able to help each other out. And it just felt like that kind of event is there for this kind of thing to happen, whereby relativity launch um, a rocket that is um, you know it's the smaller two-stage rocket of of the company's portfolio but it's still 85% 3d printed by mass mm-hmm. um and they they launch it and it, i th- i think it's it okay it doesn't reach orbit but then so many of these rocket launches don't actually yeah um succeed so i still think it's a you know a net positive story um and they've been working towards it for years now it's quite an amb- ambitious thing i think to to build a rocket with you know as many 3d printed parts um as they can and yeah they you know the the rocket survived max q which is where the, the structural loads are at their highest um the two two stages of the rocket separated successfully they you know as you said they didn't reach orbit but um you know they did they did cross the 100 kilometer Kármán line and continued to gain an elevation up to 134 kilometers um but yeah, I mean, they they didn't reach orbit, but I still think it was successful. And in, in their findings, I, I think they one of the things that meant they they couldn't reach orbit was that the the engine of the of the rocket didn't reach full thrust, and mm-hmm. uh, the engine valves opened slow and unexpected, which then impacted the timing of the propellant reaching the thrust chamber assembly and the gas generator. Um, but I still think it was a it's a big success story and. Um, I don't know it was just really lovely to see it and everyone was so excited about it or at least the the small group of people who gathered to watch it were all um were all buzzing and all having a very good time and that was just quite nice to see I think and you know obviously this is just the first the first stage of what relativity want to do there's a you know there's a bigger rocket that they want to now focus on and, and hopefully they'll they'll be able to use that to enable space exploration missions and, and so on but it was um yeah, quite a significant moment, I think, for definitely for relativity, but I think for the AM industry as well. Mm. Yeah, definitely. And like you say, they've already used Dublinans now to shift to develop to the development of the next generation uh, launch vehicle. And, I, you know, because I was at an event in just October and I was again with a bunch of additive manufacturing users, a, a bit like an, an AMUG scenario. And you know, people were talking about a lot of the common things that they still come up against when people don't really know about additive manufacturing and, and and one of them was that they kept coming up was wow you can 3d print with metal and i think yeah you can 3d print with metal and you can go to space yeah <laughs> so i think you know it's kind of, it makes me frustrated when i hear people that still think about additive manufacturing in terms of little plastic trinkets which of course still exist but they're so far away from what we're doing now and this is just such a great example of the kind of things that we that we are able to do when we just use it in an intelligent way and use it for you know this this hasn't been built you know in the same way as 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 any other rocket you know parts of this have been made to really use advantages of 3d printing so it's it's really you know like i say it didn't reach didn't reach orbit but as far as it got it is a great example of just what this technology can can really really do yeah because i think i don't know it's just it's just amazing when you actually think about it that most of that mm-hmm. rocket is 3D printed and yeah. it like I don't know like obviously SpaceX and whoever else are all using 3D printing but mm. they're not you know 
this couldn't possibly go up without 3D printing. It's most of the parts are made with the technology. So it, it doesn't just kind of lean into 3D printing where it, you know, where it's found a, a use case. It's been designed from scratch for this technology. Yeah. And it's, you know, it it didn't quite get to orbit, but it, it worked most of the way up, you know, like mm-hmm. it got quite quite far into into that journey. So it yeah, it's really impressive. And and to be honest, I before we kind of came to start preparing for this podcast, I'd forgotten it even happened this year because I'd been distracted by so many other things. Yeah. But like I was like, oh yeah, that was massive. Mm-hmm. And it felt like a big deal at the time. And it kind of felt like everyone just switched off from it. And I've not heard too many people mention it. Um but mm. to my mind it's a massive deal that this thing actually went up and you know got 134 kilometers up. Um but nobody nobody has approached me at a subsequent AM event and talked to me about the relativity launch weirdly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which is quite sad but also I guess a, 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 it shows the state of this industry where there's so many other things happening that a massive space launch like that is not the well, it, it's not yeah. the talk of the town. You could you could say it was a good thing that a 3D printed rocket went up and nobody you know everyone cared for a few days and then we all just moved on maybe that's a good thing I don't know but I just expected there to be a bit more of a mm. of a buzz um you know in an industry full of um geeky engineers <laughs> that a, a rocket made a 3D printer went up and um I don't know maybe when it finally reaches orbit we can all fully celebrate maybe we're just being really um you know maybe our standards are so high that actually we won't give the kudos until it reaches orbit I don't know <laughs> well let's talk about another application which um is a lot closer to home um and Ollie you reported on this one earlier this year and this was around sort of many time but I think so it's Merit 3D who are a 3D printing service provider and are using photocentric technology and have reportedly um, so reportedly uh, printed over one million um, parts for one order um, which is a r- ridiculous number but I think I like the story <laughs> because it's in, in kind of what we've just talked about in both of those those things, there's a lot of stuff that we want to get towards in, in additive manufacturing. There's a lot of things that we say that we can do. And then you've just got a company like this that actually doing it. You know, we talk a lot about 3D printing for high volumes, for, for production applications, and this is both of those things. Um, but for for a very, um, you know, it wasn't a particularly exciting part that that, that, that was made, but, you know, uh, what a what an amazing milestone to be able to say that, that this type of technology was 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 used in, in these sorts of numbers. So, Ollie, I think you spoke to, to the, uh, the Marriott 3D team um, about this, or potentially photocentric, um, but tell us a little bit about this story. Um, so I covered it initially when when the news first broke and then Sam also spoke to the the guy like at the at the top of the company at Merit 3D, uh, Spencer Loveless, mm-hmm. and uh, yeah, it's it's not the most interesting application. It doesn't do anything revolutionary. Doesn't mm-hmm. reinvent anything, but it just allows for the the, the way they've used the uh, photocentric magnet. I think it is. I think that's the one the machine they used. And yeah. um, the way he sort of spencer and his team have gone all in on right we can make parts here in the usa we don't need to outsource to millions of miles away and in technologies you know that 
um, you know, harder to, maybe not as easy to design for. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can make little changes bit by bit throughout the process with this type of technology. Whereas mm-hmm. with like injection molding, you make a design at the beginning, you might have to stick with that design for however many parts. But with this, if you need to make a tiny change, you can. Um, which is something Spencer is like really big on. And they, uh, all these LinkedIn posts that I'm sure people have seen is, uh, you know, reshore manufacturing, designed to production in weeks, made in the USA. So he's really got that goal of reshoring production and which, uh, you know, doing good for American businesses like his he built his business like from the ground up so i think it's really positive story in that sense and Mm -hmm. um i know sam spoke to him a bit more about how that company began because i think he's uh he took over his dad's company called dustless technologies which was like a vacuuming business and then from that started merit 3d in 2020 yeah it was i think during yeah maybe covid year yeah around that yeah and then already you know three years in got this order for a million parts and as, as ollie mentioned like small design tweaks happening i think they the first design change came after they delivered like thirty thousand units and the second at a hundred thousand and then there's a they probably reached it by now from when i when i spoke to spencer but the third was planned for around five hundred thousand units um and they were building the parts on the the lc magna like ollie said in uh the ultra curb epd 1006 material um from basf and i think it was something like 400 parts um on every build which was like two 200 odd minutes um and they were delivering 40,000 units a week um by the point that i spoke to him um and yeah it's just a really good example i think of I guess it only works if the the client is willing to continuously mm. improve their product, but this client is, and so that's why it's it's better economically to do it with three D printing than injection molding. Um, what's amazing is is Spencer has to respond to so many people who I guess are a interested, but b are kind of in a certain amount of disbelief that they're able to do it, and they're always going on about why doesn't why don't you just injection mold it, and it's a a bit of a weird one because it's like this guy's running a business he isn't like well he wouldn't do it if it didn't make sense you know what I mean like it's yeah. a very strange um thing that he has to deal with on a on a very regular basis like um you know if, if it isn't going to work then I'm sure I'm sure the, the client will go elsewhere or will ask Merit to just use injection molding but they're using AM for these kind of applications and I think they've had a a couple of other applications where they're producing in in decent volumes as well but you know it's quite a nice balance to what we were just talking about the relativity thing which is a completely different technology obviously smaller volumes to a a polymer technology in in these high volumes but both seem to be working for what for what they need and um, you know I it's it's good that we're mentioning it on this kind of podcast because I think um, you know a, a modestly sized service bureau in a in a pretty regional part of America probably doesn't get um, you know loads and loads of publicity, but they they seem to be going along well and using the technology well, and I think it'll be really interesting to keep an eye on them in the next couple of years to see 
you know what other applications they can they can you know apply with uh, am2 and and to what kind of volumes as well mm-hmm. i think it's just nice to have another proof point of photocentric technology too because it, it was in 2020 where we saw these kind of print mm. farms with, with the liquid crystal technology being used to print thousands and thousands of, of face shields for for the nhs in fact that was millions of of, of yeah. face shields i believe at the time um so it's quite good just to see another example of this technology really just been put to work in a mass volume application because you know you could quite easily dismiss a lot of the stuff I think now which maybe people do from the pandemic a lot of those kind of face shield applications and stuff is like it was just a bit of a you know a flash in the pan stop gap no one really did anything with that type of type of technology afterwards we didn't see those volumes again but here we are seeing the exact same type of technology put to it with something that's just you know it, it was what it was a, a hanger tool for some kind of industrial epoxy product or something like that it was it was I, I think it was all part of an injection mold a tool that was missing or something and a, a very very much in um kind of behind the scenes product this was and it was just kind of it, it's great to see this technology been used again in a in another product that you know isn't really just isn't just a reactionary thing it's it's very real and it's something that I think a lot of other companies like you say if they had that willingness to really iterate and want to dive into using the technology they could probably get a lot of the same benefits that adhesive technology has got through through this project okay so we're going to do it now we're going to move on to the big one let's go Let's sit comfortably. Um, but I am aware that we did say this was only going to be an hour episode and we're already about 45 minutes in and really halfway mm-hmm. through the year. So let's crack on. Um, so the saga that really felt never ending, uh, but it did end up concluding in some form um, last month, um, was the Stratasys desktop metal 3D systems, nanodimension, big acquisition story and it was so hard to keep up with that Ollie kept what was effectively a live diary recording the entire timeline of events which went way actually years before all this started or way back to when desktop metal um you know first first came into onto the scene and all these other acquisitions that happened before in 2023 but I guess it properly started um in March uh, with nanodimension offering um a 1.1 billion uh, offering 1.1 billion dollars to acquire Stratasys which was very quickly rejected and then Stratasys and Desktop Metal um, announced a deal to merge a deal that was worth 1.8 billion and then we saw um, some action from 3D systems and then some rejections and then up in the ante and all this kind of stuff Um, but I think the big one between the two of these probably was the Stratasys Desktop Metal merger because we were all pretty excited when this was first announced in the industry, you know, both companies said the sentence this agreement, um, as I say, worth $1.8 billion, significant upside potential, they both agreed, with a total addressable market of more than $100 billion by 2032. So really, really big projections for that. Um, and we've just been on this kind of roller coaster throughout the year, just um, of, of different companies really just wanting to, to throw their hats in, into the ring. And um, I think, like, as I say, Ollie, because you've done the timeline, you've really looked at every single element of the story, whether <laughs> the CEO posting, a, a, you know, a, a, a very um, kind of rushed YouTube video um, online of the take or, um, you know, whether it was, um, you know, a, a, a very like last minute rejection from another company. And Sam, you've done, again, some really, really in-depth um, pieces on what has happened with this deal, which 
ended last month when Rick Fulop, um, the CEO of Destin Metal, um, confirmed that Destin Metal is not for sale because Stratasys had just decided to terminate uh, the merger after a big shareholder vote decided against it. So um, it's all kind of like, done with now until someone else maybe pops in um, in 2024. And I guess that's why I'm making sure that I'm staying in the office next week, just in case some company does decide to buy one of these companies, <laughs> just in case it's a little Christmas presents themselves. Um, but I, I guess I'm going to leave it to both of you to um, to really take us through this in as quick way as possible, um, just to get the gist of what actually happened with this uh, very weird, weird year for the industry. I'll let Ollie go first because I feel like he was doing this day to day for about <laughs> three months. It, it felt like every, every day, I'd, you know, I'd be getting into my groove, I'd be covering press releases and then I'd be about to go home and then I get an email. Oh, Stratasys has rejected this bid. Oh, there's been another bid put in there. I'll stay an extra hour and miss me train. Can I just say to the listeners, any anytime Ollie was like getting ready to go jump his bus, he'd go, oh no, and it just be yeah. <laughs> coming through. <laughs> but you know, it got us some very good statistics on our website, <laughs> so it, it was good in that sense. But um, okay, where where do I start with this? Could this could be a whole podcast series on it on its own? It, it, it nearly was. Uh, it nearly was <laughs> an entire episode at the end of the year, but we decided nobody needs that. So continue. So I think it was. It, I don't think it became the saga until maybe 3D systems got involved. Until then, mm-hmm. it was just like this, you know, this major story of the biggest company in 3D printing potentially having the biggest merger in 3d printing and then when 3d systems came in that's when it started to get a bit more um dramatic dramatic and a bit bit more feisty from either side mm. um and we, by that point we'd already seen the nano dimension deals re- like multiple nano dimension deals rejected i think it's by about five by the time 3d systems put their bid in um and the difference between the perception of the nano dimension deals and the 3D systems deals was I don't think many people after after the first nano dimension offer was rejected, I think people stopped really taking their offers too seriously mm. because their offers were just instantly made public and as as we now know, there was conversations with Stratasys and 3D systems sort of behind the scenes going on back like a couple of years so I think that's why people didn't necessarily view it as this big saga until 3D systems got involved and mm-hmm. um, and there's just so many different factors to this I'm just having a look at the timeline now to try and pick out the important ones um well I think it was it was around May time wasn't it when 3D systems started when they decided yeah. to make their own takeover attempt of, of of Stratasys and um you know that was really that was kind of the the shocking one because um as, as I mean obviously it's, it's massive because that is the two the two founding companies of this industry really potentially merging together and I think I, I remember at the time thinking what does this what does this mean for the industry going forward if the two biggest companies are coming together um you know what you know how how does that look for everyone going forward and I think with those two companies um it seemed to make less sense because there was so much crossover between their two product portfolios whereas when we looked at 
Stratasys, a company that has sort of tried metal and then kind of let it let it go to one side. And um, it made more sense for them to bring in someone like Desktop Metal, who has all those capabilities, especially with the all the Bandjet capabilities from the X1 acquisition um, a couple of years ago. Um, you know, it seemed to it that seemed to fit a, a lot more. Um, but yeah, sorry, carry on, Ali. Um, so I think an, another moment where there was like a lot of tension starts building. It was um, when one of the Stratsy shareholders expressed concern over the desktop metal merger, mm. and I think something people were concerned about was um, this is just speculation. This is you know people um, thought that because. Stratasys had sort of a hand in desktop metal at the beginning. They were one of the very first investors in desktop metal before it went public. Mm. Um, and uh, with desktop metals um, share price sort of dropping quite drastically since it went public, it over, I think, two billion in share value dropped since it went public. So it went from like 2.5 billion to 500 million in three years people may have seen Stratasys are sort of bailing them out in a sense and um although you know the metal bringing the metal stuff into their portfolio does make sense people maybe think it's more not as as clever of a business decision because of how like I said there because of have been invested in them since the beginning maybe they're protecting their investment a bit um and then 3D systems come in and the Stratasys shareholders wanted that deal more and a big sort of Stratasys would have merged with 3D systems but the big sort of sticking point in that deal was that they couldn't decide on who would run the combined company even though it was a better deal than the Nadun mention offers and the desktop metal merger the only thing that wasn't better was that the, they couldn't agree on who would run the company and a really interesting thing that I know me and Sam discussed in the office one day was Nano Dimension at this point still were submitting offers. <laughs> um, I think their final offer was submitted on July the 10th, an offer of $24 per share, which was very good, a very, very good offer. But if Nano Dimension just sat back and let the 3D systems thing happen, because they are the largest shareholder in Stratasys, they would own a very big chunk of that combined company mm-hmm. and would profit like massively. They would receive like a very big chunk of money from that merger going through as well. Um, so that was a oh actually no I've just found their their last offer. It was not twenty four dollars a share. It was twenty five dollars a share on July eighteenth. And they said the 3D systems proposal was misleading. So uh, that that was one of the, the tasty moments in it, let's say. Um, tasty moments. <laughs> yeah. But again, during the same time, Nano Dimensions' own struggles are going on. Um, mm-hmm. As they filed a complaint in the New York Supreme Court alleging shareholder misconduct against um, Murchison and the other the people that supported Merchants. Another moment was that 3D Systems, I think, in maybe an attempt to force the hand of Stratasys, uh, actually set a date for the completion of the merger. And then we finally saw that... I know our cameras actually can't see me doing the inverted commas, but 
you know, <laughs> the completion <laughs> of the merger. They thought um, the actual conclusion actually came about two months after that um, target date set by 3D Systems. So mm. I think that was one of the the like the last sort of big moments where someone sort of tried a tactic to force the other's hand. Ali, I think you've just done such a good job of summarising that in like five minutes. I think that was... Yeah, I've, I've, missed out, I've missed out like 100 press releases there as well. I think, I think you had to because you included every every every, uh, every unhinged LinkedIn post and, <laughs> and video. I think, I think we'd be here all day and we'd have to do a three-parter. Sam, do you have anything else to add to that? Because again, I know, I know you've done a lot of coverage on this as well, and you've spoke to you spoke to um, to um, Stratus' CEO very, very recently. In fact, you were the only person to get to speak to him at Form Next this year, and um, I think I was quite surprised by what you turned around and said to you after all of this stuff is is finished. I was kind of surprised by his still quite positive attitude towards uh, mergers and acquisitions in future. Yeah, I I wonder whether they. They obviously the board wanted to do the deal with desktop metal, but I wonder whether they kind of were expecting that the shareholders might not go for it. I don't I don't think the Stratus shareholders were ever sold on the idea because of mm. as what Ollie just mentioned with with desktop metal's market cap falling so much. I think it wasn't an easy sell to be like this is the company that's you know that's the right fit for us next because there's still a lot to work out with desktop metal um i think and i I think there's a technology there with potential but it just hasn't realized that potential yet and it hasn't achieved profitability at the time of recording yet um and so that wasn't an easy sell um i think i think one thing that i that i will place a lot of stock in from that interview with, with uh, Yoav Zai, the Stratus CEO, was when he talked about being patient because I think when I'm looking at the market now, I think they'll probably have to be patient if if metal binder jet is what they want. If it's not just any metal technology, if it's metal binder jet, then desktop metal. You know, Rick Phillips said to me that they're now going to remain an independent company. Um, they've obviously had a non-compliance notice from the New York Stock Exchange, which they have to work through. Uh, Mark Forge do have a metal binder jet technology, but they're they've struggled as well with their performance in the stock market this year. Two non-compliance notices from the New York Stock Exchange. Velo 3D is another company that is, according to Bloomberg, you know, considering a sale. They're not binder jet; they're just um, you know a, a powder bed company. Then you've got HP and GE with binder jet technologies, which are very young, um, and there's obviously I don't know if they're happy to sell. That that might be difficult to to carve those out. So there's no obvious or immediate next move. I don't think for for Stratasys. I don't know whether they'd consider. They've got loads of patents. I'm sure they've got a metal bander jet patent knocking about somewhere. Stratasys. I don't know whether they'd turn back and think to develop their own. So I don't. I don't really know what happens there, other than them being patient and seeing how all of those companies that I just name checked you know move forward um I I think 3D systems might carry on and, and try and negotiate probably privately again this time because doing so publicly obviously didn't help them um but I don't really know what what happens for me and obviously you can't ever anticipate what Nana Dimension are going to do 
Um, I think at certain points, as Ollie mentioned, that the offers were really good from Nano Dimension. And I think if I was a shareholder, I might have just fancied taking, you know, basically double what I might have paid for my like my stock and selling it yeah. to Nano. Um, but I did, they didn't ever seem like a a plan or a strategy from Nano Dimension to take Stratus forward. So it was a bit of a mess, I think. Uh, I mean, that was obvious at the time, but definitely when you look back, it wasn't a good look, I don't think, for any of the companies involved. Um, they, they were all kind of sniping at each other at certain points and it got a bit ugly and, and in the end, nothing really happened. Um, and I, I think it was just a bunch of companies who were under pressure from either their, you know, the the stock market and their shareholders to to turn a profit or you know nano from its largest shareholder stratasys from its largest shareholder 3d systems i think has obviously wanted to do this for a while and feels like this is the best move which maybe it is um for them i don't know but it just didn't ever really feel like anybody had a a had the the strategy in place and b knew how to get it over the line Mm-hmm. And so we just got kind of a, a bunch of companies who didn't quite want what the other wanted. The only two that could agree on terms of Stratasys and Desktop Metal and, and more than three quarters of the shareholders didn't didn't go for it. So, um, yeah, that a lot of a lot of things happening, which, you know, led to nothing, basically. Yeah, it is quite weird when you think all of this happened and we're kind of just back in exactly the same position. And I know like someone like Desktop Metal is, is sold off, you know, um, a company that they, I can't remember which company it was now, but um, a company that they had acquired previously when they made lots of their acquisitions over the last few years. There's little things happening um, to sort of refocus, I guess. But I think you are right. There was no no real clear plan. Nothing has really happened except we've seen you know numbers on the stock market just absolutely plummet um for some of these companies so yeah it'll be interesting to see how they recover from that next year i mean it wasn't a good look for a lot of companies it felt quite messy it felt quite um i want to say a little bit immature because i do wonder what it looked like to outside industries and um, looking in like with this kind of activity going on um so yeah it, it will be interesting to see how everybody recovers from that and moves forward and whether we do still see an outcome from any any of these conversations that we're you know we're not privy to at that at the minute um i do want to move on and talk about another acquisition and um, i promise there are no more acquisition topics for the rest of the episode yes <laughs> there are some <laughs> consolidation ones so never mind <laughs> um so yeah so um another uh, acquisition that we saw happen was um um, Aditech acquired um, LM Additive Solutions from Xerox. Now, this came after Xerox's fairly short run in the additive manufacturing industry. So, massive company bought in 3D printing um, around three years ago um, with the acquisition of a company called Vader Systems, who have a liquid metal printing technology. Um, it was a small, um, you know, dad and son uh, business um, acquired by acquired by Xerox. Um, lots of excitement around there, how they were going to incorporate the, um, the inkjet technology. And with this, it seemed like a very, very good match. And we saw the results of this at Form Next um, and at Rapid, where they'd made these, um, these really 
interesting um like tool heads for the systems and just just lots of you know kind of i guess fine tuning the technology rather than massive uh, you know machine innovations we'll say um but Xerox are really um they they've they they didn't really make massive waves in terms of um getting their machines installed. We saw a few machine installations, places like the the US Navy, for example, um, but we didn't really see like massive numbers. Um and last year they made the decision. I'm sorry, was it last year actually they made the decision? Maybe, maybe not so much. Um, but anyway, they made the decision to really just um to to slow down the the additive stuff. Um they stopped um stopped new new sales and development of the LMX liquid metal printers so we knew it was all kind of kind of coming to to an end um but additive ad it's going to see additive x additech has come in and um and acquired um this technology from the company um and i feel like they've already kind of ran with it because ollie you saw at formnex that they already had um examples of how they've combined um, their technology to to sort of develop it further. Um, so yeah, I feel, I feel like this seems like quite a good example of an acquisition happening um, from from not very good place, but where we've seen the fruits of it fairly quickly um, at an event. So Ollie, you you actually went and spoke to to the team um, at Aditech. So what what did you see at Form next? So I saw the uh, the Aditech Hybrid Three, I think I think it's called. Um, so that's got a liquid metal jet in. It's got a CNC technology and it's got um what's the other one? Yes. Um and what really sort of blew me away about it was how quick it switched between the three. Um you can see the video of of the of someone at Aditech talking through this on, on our on our socials and on our website. Just a little plug there. But um <laughs> Uh, it was really, it was really cool seeing seeing the machine work, and it, you know, it was labelled DED, and then it a robot arm would bring bring it up. It switched to the CNC, the CNC would do its bit, then it changed to liquid metal, liquid metal jetting, and just how quickly it switched between three to create a you know that type of system. Um, I thought was something I'm not. I know I've not been in the industry very long, but that's something I hadn't seen before, mm. and um it got a lot of interest at farm next as well i think because of that um so that was what really i, th I thought was quite special about it yeah it, it does feel genuinely different and honestly i think when when vader first announced it's te this technology we had kind of the same and uh, the same reaction again come from quite a small team and then when xerox said that they wanted to get into additive manufacturing it was like oh wow okay so there'll be a lot of investment and um, going behind this so i think it's just good to see that this technology that felt like it had quite a lot of promise didn't just die it's nice to see that it was incorporated uh, you know that another company has seen the value with that and incorporates it with the things that they were already good at and uh, sam i know you've also followed this story quite closely with uh, with xerox and uh, with the lm additive technology like you know what else do you sort of see from from this? What 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 have been your takeaways from seeing how the technology has actually been picked up again? I think what was interesting was when obviously last year when Xerox kind of scaled the operations back um, on on their ad LM additive division. It was last year, right? Okay. Yeah, I think it was like November, October, November last year. Um, it, they obviously stopped selling the machines. And they didn't really say an awful lot more. They were going to service existing customers. But then when I spoke to Brian Matthews, the CEO of Aditech, he he obviously toured 
the the facility that was left in North Carolina and he described it as a full R&D lab with 10 LMX machines and a team of 25 people who'd been mm. most of them working um, on application development and so although it seemed as you say like this technology was just going to be left to die actually what they left in place was quite an attractive proposition for a company like Aditech to go in and buy it and uh, Brian Matthews described it as a, a skunk works operation and he considered the tech to to be as good as anything he's seen in the AM industry and he, he's been in the industry for a, a little while now and he's done a lot of tools and he was like I've seen state of the art and and this is as good as that so I I think there was this perception that the technology was going to just die but it it didn't and, and when you you know hear about that facility and all the team that was working there and what they were doing it doesn't sound like that at all it sounds like actually they'd discontinued their investment but they were just then looking after it and finding the right buyer and i and judging by it, i know we were talking earlier um at the start of the episode about how it can take a while for two companies that come together to to kind of get the the results out there you know these have I've done it quite quickly because I, I think it was only three or four months ago mm-hmm. um, when when the deal was announced. And by the time we got to form next, I remember walking past um, the booth and saying to Ollie, I don't think the new technology is there. And then it was only when Ollie went to speak to them that I was like, oh, right, they've, they've already integrated it into <laughs> into one of their machines. And I was like, oh, OK, I see. Because that, even that is probably more difficult than just doing whatever tweaks you're going to do and put it put the box on the booth like most companies do that's fully integrated into a into a, a new system and um yeah they've they've gone very quickly but perhaps that's just because it's such a a decent fit that it you know there wasn't a lot of tinkering that needed to happen they just put the mm-hmm. two together and and off they went so let's talk about some other machine launches from this year because i think Yes, acquisitions have dominated the news, um, but we have seen some machine launches, maybe not as many as, as we're typically used to seeing, especially coming out of, you know, big events like Rapid Plus TCT and, and, and Formnext. You know, we've not seen the um, the amount of big news stories that, that we're used to, but I just want to kind of run through the year, really, with a few machine launches that we've had. And um, I guess we'll start with Rapid Plus TCT in May, which was the, the Zip Pro launch from, from Nexus 3D. It's a resin-based system. This one's equipped with a 7K high-resolution screen, uh, 46 micron pixel size for very precise prints, but it's, it's a desktop machine, but very much seen as a professional-style printer. Um, and they're saying that the, the throughput from it is, is really kind of like the more industrial uh, machines, previously unattainable production capabilities, really aimed at um, industrial users. And then we moved on to TC360 in June, where we saw um, a UK launch for a company called Defiant 3D, who gave us um, a lower cost, um, a new type of metal additive manufacturing technology. So it's a still patent pending cold deposit and cinder technology, which is supposed to really just tackle all the hurdles around metal additive manufacturing in terms of um, affordability and accessibility. Um, so we've not really heard much from them since, but um, I think that's quite an interesting one, particularly when we looked to um, we, we, we we did kind of see a few years ago more like affordable um, metals machines coming out, but it's nice to see a, a new one on the market, in particular the fact that it was launched um, at TST360 um, here in the UK as well. 
And then at TCD Asia, which I think is where we saw maybe the most machine launches at any event this year, um, it really was kind of the battle of the lasers, <laughs> which I really want to get into next year because it's just something that keeps growing and growing and growing. But um, Bright Laser Technologies um, launched the BLT S800 printer with 20 lasers. Um, and then even though they'd launched that machine, they then quietly launched another machine at the event with 26 lasers on top. And the Adelies massive examples of aerospace parts and medical parts that were just um, printing either massive volumes or absolutely huge on these printers. And we saw HBD with the E100 metal system, a company that um, if you have read the magazine this year, you'll have seen have been involved um, in the Honor foldable phone, um, very small, um, so micro components uh, for um, a consumer device there. So the technology has already been very much put to work in a production capability. And then I think the biggest one was probably um, Haitian Technologies, who they're one of the world's largest injection molding companies. Um, they have lots of different um, subsidiaries for industrial machinery, but they launched a very specific subsidiary for um, metal additive manufacturing and they introduced four systems at TCD Asia. Haven't really heard anything else about those machines since, but the fact that they made such a big splash, it was the first time they've, they've exhibited at an AM focused event. They obviously see a lot of value in, in additive manufacturing. Um, and I think that would be an interesting one to, to keep a lookout for, particularly with our sister site um, over here um, at Rapid News that focuses on the injection molding um, industry. It's been quite interesting to see a big company that's obviously a huge deal for them, just kind of starting to make a few steps into our industry. So I, I really like seeing from an already established um, company. And then moving on more recently, a lot of stuff that we'll have talked about on a recent episode, which we recorded live at Formnext, we saw launches at Formnext from companies like Renishaw, who haven't launched anything in the longest time, but introduced the Tempest technology, which is a new patented process that can cut AM production times by what Renishaw claims is 50%. It's all about a new scanning algorithm that allows the lasers inside the big flagship Ren, a Ren AM500 system to fire while the powder recoder is still moving. Um, it's very um, kind of mesmerizing to watch this happen in the machine. Um, but it's said to allow for time savings of up to nine seconds um, per layer, which on the surface doesn't sound a lot, but when you're working with these high volume production applications, it makes a lot of difference. Um, another one at Formnext was um, Stratasys with the um, their new uh, Forces machine, which they launched. They kind of launched it with Toyota, who Sam, I know you spoke to because they were sort of part of this process of launching this machine at Formnext. They were announced as the, the very first customer. Yeah, so they were one of a few, I think, that had been invited in under an NDA to have a look at the machine um, and then kind of just give some guidance and Toyota actually wrote Stratasys a list of all the things that they wanted um, to be implemented onto the machine and then um, and while that development was going on Toyota then became the first beta user and then as it was launched at Formnext they announced that they were going to they were going to buy it and it you know it's um, it's a new architecture to anything that Stratasys have released before um, in terms of the FDM machine so it's it's not based on the same um you know, based on the same printing technology, but not on the same componentry as, as all of the others that came before. And this is going to be the first of a series, and these are going to get bigger, and they're going to have more print heads. Um, Stratasys are using a, a tool changer system on this machine. Um, and, and yeah, and they've kind of, you know, they've done things to make it go faster and be more productive, um, and, and obviously process the materials like Ultem, um, so that the likes of Toyota can really 
you know, what they're doing with it at the moment is using it for kind of jigs and fixtures on their production lines. Um, so, yeah, Stratasys are very kind of happy with this machine. Toyota were very happy with it as well. Um, and, and the plan from here on is to just get bigger and bigger with these um, FDM systems now. And then I think that the other big machine launch we should probably talk about because it wasn't launched at Formnext, but um, they announced their first customer at Formnext, and that was um, AMCM's um, big um, 8K laser machine. So um, it's got a massive build volume of 800 by 800 by 1200 millimeters. Um, and then it's equipped with Nlight um, lasers, who also made quite a big splash at Formnext this year. Um, the very first customers was Centavia, who already have um, AMCM machines in-house, which they've been using to build these huge, um, these huge rocket parts. That is a, a you know a, a big part of their output, making stuff for space and aerospace. And um, yeah, so this this totally makes sense that they'd be one of the first to, to invest in these machines. But uh, yeah, that was another quite another quite exciting launch, as we do see um, more and more laser power. It's nice to see something we can already kind of see the. The, the application scope with it by going to a customer like Centavia who are obviously looking to produce those huge parts and consolidate rocket parts and things like that. And apparently uh, the Ariane group is set to be its European um, launch customer. Um, so they're also going to be using it for um, for other rocket engine parts as well. And Ariane group is doing so much additive manufacturing at the moment, working with, with uh, various um, various customers and one of them we are going to get on to um, at the end of the, the episode but yeah so they're kind of the the big machine launches that have happened and as I say maybe not as many as we see in, in typical years but I actually think that's been a good thing because so often we see tons and tons of machine launches and then nothing from them for like two years you know you don't hear of a customer you they're not finished yet they're constantly in this this never-ending um beta mode and um it's kind of nice to see that that's maybe chilled out a little bit and we're just seeing stuff that's launching but not only launching it's launching with a customer at the end of it as well okay we're coming to the very close to the end of the show now and where I'm just trying to speed through everything right now but um I do want to mention a couple of things so um one was around September time which was a story with um Align Technology who are the manufacturers of Invisalign clear dental aligners and the company announced an agreement to acquire a polymer 3d printing company Cubicure for 79 million euros and Sam you've looked at this one a lot and I think it does tie into a story that we also reported on just well that you also reported on just this morning within the dental market particularly um clear aligners but um what can you tell us about about this story and i know that 3d systems have had their say on it as well yeah so basically just quickly a line uh, in the process of acquiring cubicure um i think they've been working with them for a little while from memory and the the plan or the the aim of the of this um acquisition is to kind of Obviously, Align have been using 3D systems to uh, 3D systems technology to print the molds um, for its aligners for like 20 years now and, and doing so very successfully. With Cubicle's technology, they want to kind of push towards printing the direct aligner. So that's the direction they want to go in. Um, 3D systems, when that deal was announced, their stock took a little bit of a hit. So they they came out to just reassure their mm-hmm. shareholders that it doesn't actually affect their relationship. Um, from what I understand, that I'm still waiting to speak to Align and Cubicure. For now, at least, the Cubicure thing is going to be an R&D project. Um, obviously, 3D systems technology is going to remain the 
the technology in the kind of production processes um helping to get those out but the, the smile direct club news um i thought was very interesting so smile direct in uh, september i think filed for chapter 11 bankruptcy which is the, the same kind of bankruptcy that fast radius filed for last year um fast, fast radius in the end were able to find a buyer smile direct club have not been able to find any um any new investment or any savior so they've just shut their global operations down entirely um leaving probably quite a few customers um in the lurch and the basically just said well sorry we can't continue as a company so you'll have to go elsewhere um what i find interesting about this though is that so smile direct club were initially a partner of a line um then they kind of went their own way and started doing their own thing to rival the line um using albeit a different technology to create their molds but with the same you know objective of delivering clear aligner products to to millions of patients um and it just shows how hard it is to go up against established players and and i mm-hmm. guess the also the perils of of going public as a very young company that has yet to reach consistent profitability and i think you can draw a lot of comparisons there to, to am you know there's several companies in the last few years who've gone public at a very you know young age um and i'd say most of them have technologies with decent reputations in their portfolios but they found it difficult to kind of maintain their value turn a profit on a consistent basis if at all and and are now kind of struggling a bit and i think smile direct have done the same thing where they had this all this ambition they raised an awful lot of money their valuation was insane when they went public i think it was like upwards of like eight or nine billion mm-hmm. um and they've just not been able to sustain it and you look at a line and you look at their share value by the way which is like i think over the last since since the smile direct thing it's kind of upticked a bit but when you look at their their graph it's like 200 dollars per share and that's after it fell a bit it's on a kind of decline at that point and then it's kind of ticked up a little bit in the last few months and and it's quite hard to compete with that, I imagine. Um, a company that, you know, is is the the trailblazer in this space. And to go up against that with all of the money that Smile Direct raised and it still wasn't enough. And it's a shame because that was quite an interesting company. And it was one of those companies where they were quite they kind of came into the mainstream a bit. Like I'd see their adverts on the TV and yeah, I was like, oh, yeah they use like 50 HP machines and it was they're one of those companies and it obviously hasn't worked out um and you know they've gone they've gone out of business trying to emulate what Align technology is doing while Align is acquiring a company to go one step further and and try and print these aligners directly so it's um quite an interesting dynamic in that space um and one that I want to I want to look into further but yeah um as of as of the last week as we record this smile direct club have have gone bust and have just ceased operations globally i suppose it's also just quite sad in the sense that if there are two applications that people generally point to and you think oh additive manufacturing it's, it's found its place there like it's like it knows what it's doing it it's it's hearing aids and it's it's dental in in applications like this and to see 
a company where you know and, and that this isn't 3d printing's fault of course but you'd see a company like this that had invested in so much of the technology like you say near enough 50 hp multi-jet fusion printers you know it's a it, it's a massive investment in the technology and to see it not work out is is it's kind of sad and I do wonder like you know what happens with that machine capacity now like where, where does that get you know where will we see those machines next I wonder um but yeah it's it is a sad one and I'm also very sorry because we're ending the episode on another bit of a downer <laughs> um so <laughs> it is the end of the year and we are seeing little hints now of consolidation or the companies thinking about potential mergers so the one I want to mention is Erlacon which uh, just last week announced it is realigning its German additive manufacturing business and consolidating production in the United States. Um, which I, when I read this, it seemed so strange because they were describing um, that this is due to adverse market conditions for additive manufacturing in Germany, where there are mm-hmm. uh, limiting growth opportunities, which, you know, when we, when we go to Germany and we see the companies operating in Germany now and look at the opportunity for additive manufacturing, now that seems like quite a, you know a different take to what we're to what we're really seeing that there are these adverse market conditions but Ollie I know I know you quickly reported on this um last week so just want to give us the gist before we move on to the very last story. Yeah so um basically the the main crux of it is the the consolidating their AM production um in the United States and that they are still um, keeping some facilities open in Germany um, but it's going to be like an R&D site focusing on materials surface coating technologies and digitalization um, and then they also have facilities in uh, Balaben I think that's how you say it and Shanghai uh, which will be relocated uh, next year and yeah so basically their whole production AM production has been re reshored to yeah. uh huntersville north carolina and i think people were maybe a bit surprised by this because yeah. Erlicon have had you know relatively good year like they signed a 3.8 million euro contract with airbus um earlier this year um you know so a big money deal with a major major aeros- you know airplane company and they've already worked together for 10 years and uh they've got parts in orbit so mm-hmm. like and that's a major deal that is and uh, yeah i think it just took people by surprise because they've had a lot of success and maybe because of the success they've had that doesn't indicate bad adverse market conditions or whatever well, like you said, and the companies that have announced they're working with this year, they are the the European companies like Ariane Group, who we mentioned earlier. You know, they're working with them on production of heat exchangers for their rocket launcher. Um, you know, they've got projects with European European Space Agency, and um, yeah, so it, it's, I suppose it it was quite a surprise. So it'd be interesting to see like how much of their business you know does come from the US um in terms of additive manufacturing. But Erlacan's such a massive company, and like you say, the stuff they're going to be focusing on now back back in Germany you know that's additive manufacturer is not the biggest part of of this business so it'll be interesting to see how much the additive side maybe grows now that they're focusing solely well not solely but mainly um on on the US it'll be interesting to see how that pans out um, in the future. I wonder whether they've I'm speculating I wonder whether they've seen such a big push for reshoring in America and for Mm. a we can lean into it b there's 
I think if we're weighing everything up, that and I've got no stats to back this up, but it feels like there's a bit more of a will to invest in AM early over in America. Um, and, and maybe they've kind of just thought we can lean into that. Um, but what I found out about it is I thought the idea of a lot of these businesses, um, especially services, um, was to do the opposite of this and was to set up facilities in multiple locations exactly. to enable this local production close to the close to their customers and close to the point of need so I, it's a bit surprising because it goes against all of the messaging that <laughs> kind of comes out of this industry which is about local localizing production but yeah I guess we'll see how it pans out and the last one I just put mentioned before we finish um I guess it's kind of forward looking for for next year but um Sam last week at the end of last week you uh, reported on a story from um, Gregory Mark who is the uh, the founder of Mark Forged um, had kind of made a call on on LinkedIn um, for Form Labs to acquire um, his company Mark Forged. Um, I found this interesting because you know a lot of people speculate about oh, what companies will be will be great together which which mergers and acquisitions are going to happen next um, and and I feel like this could be quite a good one. You know, Form Labs, one of those companies that have just really continued to do well. And both of these companies really came up at the same time, offering completely different types of technology. But um, maybe not so much now with Mark Forge, but at the time, both very much based um, around making the desktop more industrial. Um, but Sam, you reported on as well um, last week. So go on to just give us a little bit about this story. Well, I what I thought was interesting about it well a it makes sense i think when you look at mm. both companies and what they offer very complimentary both based in the same part of the world yeah. um it makes sense um but so in in the linkedin post that gregory mark put out he a said that the two founders have talked about it before at least casually but what i found more odd about that was that he put it out on linkedin and tagged Max Lebowski in it and it's like well if you've talked about it before why would you not talk about it privately again like you have done before what what was the motivation of of putting it out there I'm going to assume Greg Marcus is still a shareholder in Mark Forged um so I just didn't understand why he would publicly do that um but that was interesting Mark Forge obviously didn't want to comment on on any of that but they are as we've mentioned they're in a a bit of a sticky position because of the the non-compliances on the stock exchange yeah um and they they did say they'd consider a reverse stock split which would consolidate the number of existing shares um into fewer shares and impact the price but not the value of the stock um so yeah I thought it was really and that kind of thing doesn't only happen in this industry so mm. it was quite exciting when when a founder of a company basically says another company should buy his old company um mm. or that's what he seemed to suggest anyway he didn't say it in those exact words i'm i'm paraphrasing slightly but i don't think it'll happen but i think it does make sense it's one of those where and you do get them occasionally when companies announce their mergers and this isn't that obviously but you know like, oh yeah that actually does make a lot of sense like the next and ascension one um familiar this year you're like oh yeah that actually fits like um you're both all about speed Nexa doesn't have an fdm thing and and these these guys are kind of the same like similar for the most part sizes of machines different technologies 
I'd really like to see it happen, but mm. I don't know whether it will. I don't know whether it's in Mark Forge's plan to sell up necessarily. Um, mm. But you know, and if we're going to start speculating, I think as we've touched on before, I think Stratasys would have somewhat of an interest given Mark Forge has got a metal binder jet technology in there. But mm. we'll see what happens. It was definitely interesting, um, and I think has got a lot of people talking, but. Yeah, I don't know whether it will happen or not. Well, hopefully that won't be the uh, the never ending saga for next year because yeah. I think Omni might quit. Um, so, <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, well done, guys. That was not um, an hour at all, but uh, but we tried. <laughs> no, um, that was an hour and a half, which is a nice number as well. So. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you so much, everyone who has stuck around um, and listened. We really appreciate it. And thank you so much for listening throughout the year um, as well. If you want to do catch up on these news stories and loads more in more detail, Sam has created a really handy list of the biggest 3D printing news, applications, acquisitions and um, everything throughout this year. So um, we'll put a link to that um, on our socials and probably in the show description as well. So you can have a look at some more of these stories. Um, but we just want to say again, thank you so much. We hope you have a nice uh, festive break, nice festive period and hope to see you again um, in the new year. So thanks again and happy 2024.